No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. I'm super excited to be here. It was an awesome time at Gen Con. Uh, it was our first show back. Uh, a little craziness, so we couldn't uh, do one until today, but have on some really special guests. Uh, first guest, and probably most important, no offense to you, uh, Brett, but uh, tonight, uh, or today, I should say, we have on... A special, uh, a special someone who is now the king in the north. If you haven't already heard, <laughs> Starks won uh, Gen Con 2022. Nationals, uh, and it was piloted by Luke Hartman. Uh, did I did I pronounce that right? Absolutely. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited. Uh, uh, for anyone that's listening, uh, uh, I believe Stats also had, or Tourney Grounds had uh, had Luke on to discuss uh, his Gen Con uh, appearance and his kind of run. So definitely go check out that one. I want to shout out uh, Tourney Grounds. They they do a lot of content. You know, they're they've been around uh, almost nearly as long as uh, as we have. I think they started just after after Small Council did because. We're on like 130th episode, and I think uh, Tourney Grounds is on like 110 or something like that. So definitely go check them out. Uh, and we're going to try to not overlap too much with the questions, uh, but you know, kind of cover for those that only listen to us. Again, I, I highly recommend going over to Tourney Grounds, but you know, that way you can still get a good uh, good idea of how the event went. But also, you know, for those that listen to both, you'll kind of get something new by listening to this uh, episode. And then also another uh, amazing guest, I, I had the pleasure of playing him in uh, the Swiss uh, pairing or the Swiss rounds. I want to say it was round three or four, uh, and I do apologize. I don't know your last name, but we have on uh, uh, one of Luke's uh, locals, uh, Brandon. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's Brandon McDowell, but you can all just call me Brand, the bodybuilder, the Discord name, or Brandon, either one's fine. Uh, yeah, I taught Luke everything he knows, so, um, you know, all the congratulations to him should really be going to me, but thank you all for having me on. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, playing Starks is like easy mode, so you know it. It, it was it was no surprise, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I wouldn't be playing this game if it wasn't for Brandon. That's awesome. So uh, before we kind of get into uh, you know everything um, 
like all your matches and stuff and we're not necessarily going to break down like every single round uh like i said that's if you guys are really curious about every single round and kind of all the little tiny nuances uh tourney grounds uh covered that um we're still going to go over them but more of like a, a recap and and kind of focus on some more of the questions that tourney grounds didn't get to but because we do have uh brandon on uh which uh, wasn't on tourney grounds. Uh, I would like to kind of focus on you first. What uh, what did you bring, and how was kind of your experience with uh, Gen Con? Uh, I mean, the experience was great. So this is the first um, the first like big tournament at a convention that I've been to. Uh, I was able to go to another fairly large tournament in Atlanta earlier this year. I think they had a turnout of a little over twenty people. Um, but this is this is the first time I've been able to go to a convention like this. You know, I didn't even have Gen Con on my on my radar really um, before Song of Ice and Fire, and it was one of those things I was on the fence about uh, going to. I wanted to qualify. I was really excited when I qualified, um, but I was still like, man, you know, this is a six-hour drive. I don't know what Gen. You know, I might get knocked out day one. Is it worth going to this thing for you know three and a half days just to get you know smashed on the first day? that I go up there and, you know, not have anything to do for the rest of the time that I'm there. And it couldn't have been further from the truth. Um, I'm so happy that I went. I'll definitely be going to as many of these sort of conventions and things like that as I can go to in the future as I can afford to make it to. Um, I mean, the convention was awesome. The people are awesome. The community's awesome. Going out to eat with guys uh, like yourself and Brett, Carlo, after gaming all day is, is just great. Um, the whole experience was great. I'm um, really glad that I went. Um, I took free folk um, because I'm a power gamer. No, I took free folk <laughs> because free folk are uh, free folk are actually the only faction that I've played in this game. Um, so before I even knew like how the game mechanics worked or the rules worked, I kind of I saw somebody else playing this game on YouTube. They had nothing but high praise for it. Um, I was deployed at the time for the Air Force, but as soon as I got back. I tried to, you know, rally my friends into playing this game with me and learning the rules. And I went on, did a quick Amazon search on, you know, a Song of Ice and Fire model. And I think I saw um, skin changers were, like, the first thing that I saw on there. I was like, yep, that's my faction. Like, I'm going to go with these people can, like, turn into bears. Like, yeah, I'm going to go with them. Um, so I played Free Folk the whole time. The list that I brought, I tried to bring a list for Free Folk. Uh, that could deal with Free Folk and Baratheon because I expected high turnout uh, for both of those factions. And then my other list was supposed to deal with things like Targaryens, Night's Watch, things that I needed to go kill. I actually only almost exclusively ended up playing Free Folk and Baratheon and then one Lannister player. So I only played one list, which was my Mance list, um, which is the one that you got to see. And that was supposed to be my Free Folk mirror match list with the intention of actually, you know, seeing mags and other free folk lists, which I did against yourself, uh, but you were too smart. I was, you know, I thought I was clever. I thought I was tricky. I thought, you know, I'm going to bring this savage giant expecting to see mag, and I'm going to get, you know, some sucker playing mag is going to run mag into my savage giant, and I'm going to do, you know, straight wounds to him and take him off the table. Uh, you never did. I spent the whole game chasing down mag, never got into him. Uh, that was super well played on your part. But that was basically the idea behind the list. I think I played three free folk mirror matches, uh, three Baratheon games, and one Lannister game. 
think is that best like, or maybe it's two Blair Perez games and one last game. But um, I had a great time. I, I mean, the games were all great, and it's great opponents. Uh, I got to play Bob in a in a mirror match first round, and that was great. Um, and just all the games were close. I think uh, every game except for the game against you was either won or lost by a minor loss or minor victory, and then ours was standard. So everything was super close. Really, really fun, well game, well played game. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty rough. Um, I had uh, a similar idea as you. I ran free folk, and I had one list built for. Uh, Mostly free folk and one list built for mostly Baratheons, but it could be chopped up into more of a simpler kind of armor versus horde. And when I, your Savage Giant forced me to run the opposite list that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to run my Steyr anti-free folk list, but that, um, that list, I knew that the Savage Giant was just going to eat through a lot of my units. So I ran my Mance, but you know, I like you were saying. I, the more I thought about it, I realized that running Mag into your giant would be not necessarily suicide, but it would be a very bad idea. And so, anyone who wants like a great visual, uh, they both deployed on the same same side of the board. And I basically just imagine Mag holding a free folk raider by the shoulders and like moving side to side and putting the raider in front of him as uh, the giant yeah. was trying to get around this uh, <laughs> raider unit with a walrus chieftain. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what happened. I mean, and you know, and there was no point in charging the walrus clan chieftain there, you know, even if, if the giant won out eventually, it's going to take too long. For no point, yeah. and, you know, no value there. Um, and, and that was, like like you said, I expected. I knew that most free folk players were bringing Sire as their free folk mirror um, match list. Uh, I know that Sire is very popular against other free folk. And I had actually, the reason that I built the list the way that I did, I had played Ilya in a TPS tournament earlier in the year um, in a mirror match. That was the first mirror match that I think I've ever played. Uh, and... Dyer and his sins just crushed me. You know, I think I had, like, sins with the Weeper um, and a man's list, and he just he just ran all over me. And I was like, all right, I need something to deal with Dyer. I'm going to go with the Giant. And the Giant just happened to end up, you know, being a good tool against. Free folks don't have a lot of answers for the Savage Giant. Um, and I really felt good about taking him in there, and then you made me look silly with him. So, you know, but overall, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it had its moments, and it, it, it played out the way that I wanted it to, especially against some of the Baratheons and Lannister players that I played against. Yeah, and, I mean, all things considered, it was still a very close match. Uh, I think I just kind of got a lot of momentum uh, second round. Other than that, uh, other than the quick momentum in the second round, uh, I think it was it was super... Uh, it was super close, you know, back and forth the whole time. Um, but before we uh, move on from that, uh, how did uh, how did you like um, just the rest of the convention? I know, you know, we mostly talk about Ice and Fire on here, but uh, still curious to to know what you thought about like the uh, the vendor hall and just all the different like things that you might have done uh, outside of the tournament. 
Oh, man. I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, really, um, if anyone happens to listen to this and you're thinking about going to a convention in the future, but you're on the fence about it, I, I can't emphasize enough. Go do it. Um, the first time I walked out into the exhibit hall, uh, Luke and I arrived um, Thursday afternoon, and we just kind of walked around, and it was overwhelming. I was like, I don't, I don't even know where to start. I'm getting lost out here. And we walked around the exhibit hall probably for, you know, a good hour and a half just trying to, like, get the layout of everything. Um, we, we saw a couple of different demo games that looked really cool, a couple of skirmish games. And, and then walking back over to the last chance tournament, I was kind of like, oh, man, like I, I had to like refocus and like kind of like gather myself a little bit because, you know, the con itself was, was sort of so overwhelming. I was like, man, if I, if I don't, you know, focus, then I'm just going to get blown away in the tournament tomorrow. I need to stay away from that exhibit hall as long as I'm actually in the tournament um, because walking out into the exhibit hall was so awesome and, like I said, so kind of overwhelming that you you lose some of your focus on what you're there to do which is play the game and in, in a sense I almost felt bad like that that this you know convention was going on and I was going to miss essentially a whole day of it in the first day of the tournament and then however many rounds the second day but the positive side was I no longer felt um, you know any pressure to to do well if I did make it to day two I was like you know what it, you know day two I'll, I'll try to win of course but if I get knocked out round one which I did that's fine because there's so much here to do and there's so much going on. And I, I, you know, all of a sudden I found myself there to enjoy the convention and not just playing a song of ice and fire. I mean, it was, it was really awesome. And again, anyone who's on the fence about going to something like this in the future, I, I urge you, if you can make it happen, you should go make it happen. Yeah. Anyone that has not been to Gen Con, their exhibit hall or vendor hall, um, it's referred to as both, but it is massive. Um, I would say easily, if you want to look at everything, easily it would take you about four hours to just look at everything. And that's not counting any demos. That's not counting if you actually wanted to, like, buy something, you know, because it's obviously waiting in line to purchase whatever you want to get. Um, that's just literally trying to walk by and give a couple minutes to look at each vendor. Um, <clears throat> so usually when I go to Gen Con, I try to reserve minimum half of a day to the exhibit hall. Not all in one go, but a lot of times I'll reserve like two hours to do like, a, I don't know if speed run is the best way to put it, but I try to do a fast walk, kind of look at what's there get an idea of where I want to stop and then pick a different day where I go back and I spend like, I, I know exactly where I want to go, what I want to buy, or at least have a general idea. Um, this time through though, I know this is not necessarily ice and fire related, but I got a chance to, you know, I try to look at the upside of it. So I went, uh, I first day for the last chance, I took free folk as well, and I went four and zero with four crushing victories against four very good players. Um, with I guess one small caveat, I played Craig in the first round. Um, <clears throat> he was playing like more of like a, it's still a really good list, but it was kind of a test list that he had uh, talked with someone about on TTS. So that one's a little bit of a caveat, but Craig is still a I just had, 
I definitely had the mission on my side um, by a lot. It was Feast for Crows. Anyway, so I played Craig. I played Carlo. I played uh, um, Gary, and I played uh, – his name was Matthew. Um, and went 4-0, so I was feeling really great. And that's why I eventually just, instead of going with my Greyjoys, because I wanted to do one of each, depending on whichever one I ran in, in the last chance, I was going to do the opposite. But, you know, going four crushings, I just I felt like I had to bring free, free folk for the main event. Brought it, went, and wound up going two and three, and being the bubble. Uh, I've, I guess I say bubble. Uh, I've found out recently that a lot of tabletop players doesn't, don't know what the bubble is. The bubble is the place right before making the cut. Um, so I was 17th place uh, out of the out of everyone, <clears throat> just missing the cut because there was uh, a tie in there. Because I actually had uh, all three of my losses were narrows. Two of them were by one victory point, and the third one was against Carlo, uh, a rematch essentially. And I we had we tied for victory points, and he just had more points on the table. Um, oh. And then, and then I had a crushing win, and then my standard win against uh, Brandon. And so I had almost the max points you possibly could have for a two and three. Uh, anyways, with all that said, kind of giving you just a recap of my score is that not making it into the top cut, you know, looking at the bright side of things, other than my first round on the second day or on the, the first, on the main event first day, um, all of my games were amazing. Like, I had so much fun, even on the games where I lost. Um, it came down to fifth round. Me and Carlo were two and two, and we tie, and then he barely beats me, and then he gets into the top cut, which – it's almost like a win-win for me. You know, Carlo, tra- Carlo traveled so far that I was super happy for him. You know, I would have felt, you know, I would feel bad no matter what, but, you know, there's some, there would have been something about knocking him out of being in the final day uh, would have, I guess, hit a, d- a little different. So I'm, I'm super happy that he was able to make it. Um, but... Uh, but anyway, so because I couldn't play on the second day uh, because I didn't make it, I was I brought my army just in case because with all the craziness happening, I was like, who knows? Maybe I might play. I am the bubble. If someone doesn't show and they decide they don't want to buy or this or that or whatever the case may be, I'm bringing my army. And it just so happens it was like a sign from God. Because uh, if you've listened to Tourney Grounds, uh, I, I'll let Luke uh, explain this part. But uh, Luke, what ended up happening round one for you? Yeah. So, and, and just to piggyback on what you said, I, I would always recommend that if you're in a two-day tournament and they do a and they do a top, you know, any cut, um, if unless something happens to your schedule or, or you make other plans. Um, go ahead and show up because you never, you never know. I've seen so many tournaments where one or two people from the top cut uh, can't make it, don't show up, either get drunk the night before and, and don't, you know, can't make it there. Um, and they let somebody else play in their spot. So, you know, even if you're out, um, you may not actually be out. So that was smart on you to bring uh, your stuff anyway. And, yeah, thank goodness that you did because uh, Sean Burley, uh, did not know the top 16 cut because we were given 
what, I think two revisions on the top 16 cut at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, God bless those judges, Rob and Jeremy. I mean, they, they did the best that they could. Um, I think they were just kind of limited to having to do, you know, human error. I mean, it was one person inputting all the scores from handwritten sheets that were being turned in. So um, errors can happen. But uh, luckily, Sean was found and was told uh, that he did make the cut. And I think what they didn't know when at the time they told me, you know, after 15 minutes into this first round, we're going to go ahead and give you the win, we're, you know, and let you go. The exhibit hall, I, my plan was to, you know, great, I'm in the top eight. I'm going to go check out the exhibit hall for, you know, like an hour and 30 minutes and just wander around and come back. Uh, the exhibit hall had not opened yet. It didn't open until 1030 that morning. We started the tournament at nine. So <clears throat> 915 rolls around. They tell me, congratulations, you've won. They, they moved my name up on the uh, bracket. And then it was about 10 o'clock, because I remember there was an hour left in the clock. Uh, Sean comes, you know, he's, he, he's excited, he's nervous because uh, he doesn't know if he's going to be allowed to play. He's excited that he made the cut. Um, and, yeah, so they have that conversation with him. They tell him, you know, uh, they had already given me the win, but if I would play, they would give us two hours to play and send everybody on an hour lunch. Uh, so, of course after finding out that he drove uh, from Canada either 14 or 16 hours just to be here for that tournament, uh, how could I say no, right? I mean, if I put myself in his position, what would I want someone else to say? And, you know, absolutely give him the shot that he deserved. He made the top cut. So, uh, yeah, so we played. And, uh, you know, lucky for me, I won, but uh, it was not easy. Uh, it definitely went from being a 100% guaranteed win to – you know, a coin toss. I mean, Sean's a great player, played a great game. And uh, I think he left there with, uh, with closure. I think he was, you know, incredibly thankful that you brought your stuff, Dave. And, and like you said, it just seemed like it was meant to be um, because I skipped lunch that day. And uh, who, who knows if that helped or not. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. I, it was funny because uh, after the tournament ended last night, I tried telling Robert, I was like, look, the pairings, they're wrong. You know, they're the final, you know, the final list. I was like, it's wrong. It's like, well, if they submitted it uh, wrong, you know, I don't really know what to do about it. And I'm, I'm like, both of the people that submitted wrong are right here. And they did it. They just submitted it wrong the last round. Like, it wasn't like some forever ago thing. I'm trying to explain. I'm like, it's super, I was like, it's super simple. I was like, literally, because they, what had happened, and this, this happens uh, quite often, I, I realize, is that uh, a lot of people are confused on ties. So a tie in, uh, in Ice and Fire is actually really hard. Uh, so for anyone listening, a tie only happens if you have the same number of victory points at the end of the game and you have the same number of points on the table. So, And that's not counting NCUs. So that's just literally how many points are on, currently on the table. That is when it will be a tie. If 
that's how, you know, like with me and Carlo, last round tied in victory points, but he had more points on the table giving him the win. Well, they had listed their game as a tie, even though uh, Zach had more points on the table, and I forget his name, but the guy who was in the top 16, um, he had less. So I told him, I was like, look, every other, assuming every other game is inputted correctly, everyone stays the same. But you basically take Zach, give him a win instead of two two one or you know two wins two losses and a tie he has three wins and two losses that just bumps him up you know that makes it made him from like 16th to like uh 14th or something like that or 15th and then it takes the guy who had also two wins two losses and a tie makes him two and three and his tiebreakers are actually pretty bad he ended up dropping all the way down to i think it was 25 um which then essentially pushed everyone from 24 up one slot. And that's how Sean Emberly went from 17 to 16. And then I went from 18 to the actual bubble. Um, And so I actually ended up missing, you know, uh, dinner with uh, all the guys afterwards because I stayed for like, it was like 30 minutes after the fact, trying to hash this out. Um, after everyone's gone, it's literally me, Zach, uh, Robert, the judges, and the other guy who had played against Zach. And I'm just like, look, guys, it's super simple, you know. And uh, I do apologize to uh, the guy who um, uh, I can't remember his name. He was super cool about it. He's like, look. If I didn't get, if I didn't legitimately get a spot in the top 16, you know, it's not fair for me to have the spot. Um, and so he uh, he was fine with the correction, uh, and Zach was too. And so with the correction happening, that's how I, I called Brett up, and I was like, you and everyone that you know in the car right now, everyone just shoot out, you know, something on on the interwebs trying to get a hold of Sean. You know, being from Canada, I'm sure you know, there's a lot of people that didn't really know him out of the whole group. And so it was hard to reach him, uh, and that's why he didn't end up seeing any of it until he was actually on the way. Like, he had already left all the stuff at home or at the, his hotel or wherever he was coming from. So, um, so yeah, it, it just all turned out for the best. And then long, you know, super, super long story short, uh, it again worked out for the best because then since I didn't play day two, I got to hang out with Fabio like the whole day. Um, You know, I got to go into the vendor hall with him. We walked around from store to store. I got to do a demo with him. Um, He's a super awesome guy. Anyone, you know, mention this every time we do a show pretty much. You know, there's definitely things that are a little too powerful, or even in your in what some of our opinions, mine as well. I have some opinions of things that are like broken, but I have faith that Simon will, you know, look at it and address it if need be. Eventually, you know, they don't want to make decisions that are too quick. I know. Maybe I just have a lot more, you know, faith or I have just, you know, naturally glass half full. But, you know, 
after meeting Fabio in person for the first time, I've talked with him online here or there, but meeting him in person, you know, even meeting Michael, they're awesome guys. Um, you know, so I would say definitely give them, give them a, a little more credit uh, sometimes when some things come out and they look a little too over-tweaked. But, uh, yeah, I got to hang out with them basically the whole day. And then on top of that, uh, uh, I swung in. Uh, I don't know if anyone did the Kickstarter, but the zombie uh, or the Marvel Zombies uh, Kickstarter. It's basically the next version of Zombicide, if anyone's played that. I got to demo it with Fabio and with Michael. Uh, I got to do the uninfected heroes with uh, Michael, or sorry, with Fabio, and the infected heroes with Michael, and the game is amazing. It blows Zombicide out of the water, like the originals and all that. They've streamlined so much stuff, and it's just an amazing game. So anyone out there that already kickstarted it, um, you know, not to, like, make you even more excited and can't wait to get it, uh, you know, it it's amazing. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Uh, Brett, how about awesome. uh, how about you? How how was your um, experience outside of the event, or like you know all the extras of Gen Con? Um, I'm actually getting ready to pick up Aerith, um, so I'll keep it really short. I I pretty much didn't do anything outside of the Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I I played in the last chance qualifier for fun, and then obviously I played in the next two days. I didn't really get to do much. Whatever free time I did have, I did spend some time with Fabio. I spent some time with Michael, um, seeing some other guys from the community, Brian Kerr and things like that, and I ended up using whatever could have been convention time to wander around tables and see how other matches were going and things like that. So... Um, I didn't do as much of the con stuff as I would like to, but uh, being perfectly honest, um, with with anxiety that I have, I, I'm fine with that. I don't go to the convention for the convention. Um, I go just to kind of stay inside my circle and, and hang out with the song guys, and, and uh, that's about the limit of it. I'm just wandering around, and anxiety about getting lost, anxiety about being late, it kind of just drives me nuts, so I, I don't actually like the convention side of it. I'm probably alone there, but I don't I don't enjoy that. Oh, good for you! <laughs> I actually really love it. Um, so I, I was planning on taking my wife and my daughter with me, my oldest. Uh, she's 11, and she's very much into cosplay and anime and, and everything else, so uh, we thought it'd be great uh, to have her go and do some of the cosplay competitions and, and see some of the panels and stuff like that. But uh, it just didn't work out with school starting. Um, she's starting middle school this year, so we didn't want her first two days of middle school uh, to be missed for going to a convention. So she's upset about that, but, uh, you know, as she gets older, there will be opportunities. And I, I do plan on taking the whole family because I, I really enjoy it. I like uh, Indianapolis as well. I think it's a beautiful city to walk around in. And, and uh, if you go to Gen Con, do not park in the very first parking lot you see right by the convention center because that <laughs> place is incredibly expensive. We didn't, I, yeah. well, I'll take the blame for this. I didn't look at the pricing for the parking. 
uh, we parked for maybe like five or six hours. Uh, it was 50 bucks. Uh, we said, we'll never do that again. And we found a spot that was not even that far away, maybe a mile down the road uh, for $10 a day. And that's the way to go. I don't nice. even think it was a mile yeah, we, uh, down the road. It was like half a mile down the road. <laughs> a fifth of the cost, yeah. Yeah, we did something similar. We uh, we parked, it was probably probably general, like same general area, but ours was, uh, was a bit more than that. We paid, it was like $72, um, and it gave you access, free access the entirety of the convention for every day. Um, you could come and go, and it gave you shuttle buses, um, which was nice. <clears throat> so with that said, uh, Luke, so about everything that happened at Gen Con. We're going to need details, copious details. <laughs> yeah, so, so I guess, go ahead, Dave. Uh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, so, like, just tell us about it. Um, you don't have to go, like, in-depth into every single match, but, you know, just anything you kind of want to mention, you, especially anything maybe you didn't uh, get to say on uh, on tourney grounds. Yeah, absolutely. So I think on tourney grounds, we, we only talked about one of the lists. We talked about the Great John list. In that list, uh, I played seven out of the nine games over the weekend. And that list went undefeated, and that list I'm, I'm very, very happy with. Uh, it had a few different iterations that I tested out before settling on its final version. Um, I tried to fit Karstark Loyalists into the list, uh, but what I kept finding out is they kind of have counter synergy with the Mormont veterans, right? They, they heal up, so they keep going up, but a Mormont veteran, you know, ideally you want to go down in ranks. Um, their precision wasn't really adding anything that the list needed because of all the great John auto wound cards. Um, and, and what I really found was that sworn swords are better in that five point spot, because um, if they're going to go down in ranks, they're going to get, they're going to get better. The Mormont veterans going to get better. Um, and because it's great John's cards wanting, you know, wanting you to wound yourself to take wounds for berserker tactics. Um, you, you ideally want to be making your units better, not worse. Uh, so the Sworn Swords ended up being the perfect fit. Um, and what I felt like with that Great John list was that was a list I could play into Free Folk um, because I have a lot of sustain that I can take damage on turns that aren't mine through Hardened. Uh, I have Lash Out. I have Last Stand. So even when I'm unactivated or outactivated, rather, I can take some punishment from an a free folk player with more activations than me and hopefully dish it back uh, with an even higher return. Um, and then great John just being the missile that he is, uh, he allows me to reach out and touch units like the chariot, uh, like mag who are really the most threatening units to a Stark army, right? A lot of other things are going to have trouble if they're hitting on fours and they're having to deal with hardened, uh, but chariots and mag, they really bust through stuff. So if I can take a commander like Great John and I can take those cards like Lash Out, Berserker Tactics uh, that are going to help me take out Chariots and Mag and Giants before uh, they do much damage to me, then I'm going to be in a position where I can win that battle, right? So if it's mid-game, late-game, 
and their hard hitters are off the board, I no longer have to worry about cards like there's too many because if they can't get damage through on the hardened units, um, then there's going to be no panic test. And so Great John's list also plays really well into um, Baratheon's, specifically Renly's side, where they're going to have a lot of two-up armor saves, a lot of healing, um, being able to go in with Berserker Tactics and apply those wounds and having Warcry to put out vulnerable and panic tokens. Um, that makes me feel a lot better in that particular matchup. Uh, I also think if I could go back, I'd probably play Great John into Night's Watch, specifically John Commander, um, because cards like Last Stand, Lash Out, Berserker Tactics, those really help you force uh, damage through uh, stuff like shields and um, giving damage on a Night's Watch unit on their turn prevents them from just healing it up quickly with Aemon. Um, so if you can deal damage to Night's Watch on their turn and then turn around and finish them off on your turn, uh, that's going to be a much better spot than trying to do all the damage on your turn because if you come up short, uh, they have a lot of ways to bail themselves out. Uh, and then the other list, which I haven't really talked about much, but um, it's kind of a take on Psycho Steve's um, Eddard Stark list where you run two heavy cavalry units. So I ran Tolikav and Flaidman, each of them with a Glory Seeker. So they both have Rally Cry. Uh, Eddard in his Honor Guard, which has, he has his own Rally Cry from his attachment. And then a unit of Stormcrow Mercenaries, just as a caddy for Rickon and Asha and Shaggy Dog, because that's a very, very cheap uh, 8.2 activation package uh, that you can throw in just to get you up in activations. Uh, and then I take Peter and Catelyn. Um, and, and that list really plays into, like, Drogo um, from Targaryens, uh, because I, I feel like with the two heavy cavalry units, I can probably engage Drogo well before he ever gets to use Expert Duelist. Um, so if my two cav units are going and tying up Drogo, then Eddard can be free somewhere else on the board uh, to not get assassinated and to do what he does with Honor Guard and Fury to the Fallen. Um, and then the Stormcrow Mercenaries and Shaggy, they basically play as your activations, you know, your passes or your, your units to go and hold down objectives. Um, that list also plays well into Stannis, Baratheons, if there's Melisandre, Jockin, um, because there's three rally cries. You can heal up a lot of damage that you take on the way in. And Eddard has access to Northern Defiance. So he's able to uh, auto-pass a panic test for a friendly unit in short range or auto-pass on himself or even just re-roll the dice if they're too far away. Uh, so when you're taking Melisandre bombs, if you, if you crit fail, uh, hopefully you have a Northern Defiance you can just pull out and throw down and, and auto-pass uh, just until you can buy yourself some time to get into combat. Um, and then, of course, Greyjoys. So I feel like in the times that I've played Greyjoys, I've had a lot of success running heavy cavalry because their armor save is great. It protects them from things like uh, the archers and bowmen taking multiple shots. They're fast enough to get back to bowmen. Um, and because they only have two ranks and six wounds per rank, they really give up pillage tokens very slowly. Um, and so you're not powering up your opponent like you would be with a Greyjoy list. Uh, instead, because you're bringing cav, 
um, the Greyjoys are going to have a hard time of getting pillage tokens. Um, and then the other, let's see, the other matchup I would run them into. Oh, I can't. I know there's a faction I'm forgetting, but um, uh, oh, neutrals. So neutrals, I would definitely run Great John. <laughs> um, just typically neutrals. Um, they depend on the letter zone. They depend on their commander. And uh, with Great John, and a lot of the neutral units are pretty squishy. Usually Great John can go in and, and pull off the one shot if you have the right cards, if everything lines up for you. Um, but Great John charging in with Cutthroats um, on an unactivated unit is going to drop its vulnerable token. You can use Berserker Tactics to drop a panic token because they're a number unit. So you've just put out an automatic war cry right there with the vulnerable and the panic. Uh, and then you're going to have threes to hit with the rerolls and it, Berserker Tactics can be four wounds that you can put on top of that. I mean, that's usually enough to drop someone else's Cutthroats or uh, Bastards Girls or, you know, maybe Bloody Numbers if you roll well. But um, it, it seems like that would be the right matchup for Great John. Yeah, I I would say uh, I think Great John and Eddard are definitely kind of the go-tos for commander options. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is there a third list that was it, uh, that was a possibility, or do you were you pretty comfortable in uh, in picking? these two over everything else? I tell you, I don't think I switched to Great John until about three weeks before Nationals. Um, I was running Eddard uh, as my infantry commander, basically substitute Eddard for Great John in that list and uh, put in Honor Guard. And um, for the cavalry list, I was running Brendan Mounted in a unit of Outriders. And this is actually a really good question because this, this is where I've, I've felt like the tough decision-making came in for the Stark list building. When I looked at what great, when I looked at what Eddard was doing in the Mance matchup, Eddard was getting canceled a lot. A lot of what Eddard wanted to do was getting canceled because I, I would end up being within the Mance bubble. Um, so Fury for the Fallen would get canceled by counter strategy. Uh, Northern Defiance would get canceled. Uh, uh, there's too many would still go through. And because Eddard wasn't working in the one matchup that I was trying to skew for Free Folk, I looked over at my Brendan mounted list and said, well, what would happen if I substituted him and his six-point unit for Eddard and his six-point unit? When I compare the cards, all three of the cards for Brendan are really uh, only good on his uh, Outriders, ex- with the exception of Marshall. Marshall's a great card. Uh, Marshall is, you forego your cav maneuver, you heal three, and you remove a condition token. Um, it's basically like a free bags on your cav unit, as long as you forego your maneuver. Uh, but the other two cards I wasn't getting a lot of mileage out of. The uh, Ride Them Down would, would honestly just have been a worse uh, situation for Tully Cav and Flatman. Um, and then the ride by attack, of course, doesn't trigger rally cry. So if I ride by, did ride by attack with Tolly Cav, uh, they would not trigger their rally cry. They wouldn't heal. They wouldn't get their charge bonus. They wouldn't, you know, it, it, on paper, it looks great. It looks like Brendan's this great Cav commander that empowers all your cavalry units. But really, he was just doing a lot for his unit of outriders, um, which 
they weren't really pulling their weight at all either. Um, so I looked and I compared it to Eddard's Honor Guard and, and to improve in every category, the to hit category, the attack profile, the armor save, uh, it was it was an improvement all around. And then comparing the cards, um, Fury of the Fallen, Lead by Example, Northern Defiance, those, those are great cards. Um, so it felt like an all-around improvement to go from, you know, to go from Brendan Tolley, Outrider Commander, to Eddard Stark in Honor Guard. That felt like the right move, and I got another rally cry out of it. Um, after playing in the tournament, you know, I, I said I would take uh, Eddard into the Night's Watch matchups. I took it twice and went one and one against Night's Watch. Um, the one noticeable thing I'll say about that Eddard list is that it does lack token play. Uh, so you're, you're very dice dependent. If you're, you're totally calf slam in, they do, you know, even if you roll quite a bit of hits, unless you drew into the devastating impact, um, you're going to find out you're, you're going to be very reliant on your opponent's dice. Um, if they roll really well, that's, that's kind of it, you know, and, and with, heavy cav and the way that they are designed to just go in, shock somebody on the charge and either blow them up and reposition or have, have some other way to get out of the combat so they can charge again. Uh, what I found over and over again was that without the right token play, um, there would be a lot of just low impact charges. Um, and while the rally cry and the sustain is great, um, if you're not removing units from Night's Watch, they're they're going to win that battle. They're going to win the the sustained fight battle, and they're going to heal up with Amon. They're going to they're going to butcher you with some sworn brothers uh, who have a great order to kill knights. And so, if I could go back, I think that would be the one list that I would change. And I would change. I would drop the uh, flayed men with the glory seeker. I drop them down uh, from nine points to seven points for a unit of uh, she bears with a Mormont veteran. I think defensively, they're going to be similar. Uh, Flayed men have a three plus, six plus. Uh, the she bears would come in at a four up, six up, but with hardened, um, they're eventually going to be better than a three plus armor safe. Uh, mathematically, they're, by the time they get to their last rank, they're going to be incredibly tanky. Um, and then you have cards that have synergy with them, like lead by example. Uh, if Eddard attacks, he can give them, you know, plus two morale or plus one to hit, or he can throw that on the Tolly Cav. And now they're a three up morale uh, hitting on twos. Uh, and that's a pretty devastating charge. So with the, uh, with downgrading them to she bears, uh, as a Mormont veteran, the two points I say there, I would turn around and I would upgrade the Stormcrow mercenaries with Rick on and Asha. I'd turn them into she bears as well. Um, and that's going to give you the token play that I think that list is missing. There's going to be two war cries. And it's going to turn the Stormcrow mercenaries, who are normally a unit that, that really don't do anything, they always get marked in fire and blood, and, and I never really can do anything with them other than hide them. Um, turning them into she-bears is actually going to turn them into a unit that, that now people have to worry about. That's one thing I think the Great John list, well, I had five very threatening units. Uh, Shaggy becomes even more of a terror with Great John's cards. Um, so for the Eddard list, I would make that change to the two units of She-Bears, Tully Cav, Honor Guard, and Shaggy, and feel like I'm putting five uh, intimidating units on the table. And both lists have plenty of token play. Um, 
and, and really can flex into anybody at that point. That's all I got. You're good. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I, the reason I kind of asked the question is because I was kind of in the, you know, I've kind of been in the same boat. I haven't uh, ventured to play my Starks, um, you know, for a major event, but I, I quite often, you know, go back to them because they're, you know, they're my original uh, faction. Um, and I've been bouncing around with uh, Holland Reed uh, between Eddard Great John and Holland Reed. Uh, some of the things you can kind of do with Holland Reed, if you get to pick the terrain, can get quite goofy um, with some of his taxes cards. So uh, I was just interested to see because I think I think Starks are kind of they're they're great in the sense that they have a lot of potential. Uh, you know, a lot of great commanders with a lot of potential. Um, but with that said, uh, this is kind of a question for both uh, both of you guys. But I'll, I'll start with Brandon first. So, how is it like uh, like playtesting? Do you guys play each other a lot? And uh, if so, like how did uh, how did your I guess the evolution of your lists kind of come out while facing one another? Oh yeah, I mean I, mean, I probably play Luke. Um most often um, between him and another local player that we have, John Reinhardt, who John has been playing this game since the Kickstarter came out. Um, we showed up in his community, really, you know, when Luke and I started playing, we reached out to find local players, and it was it was John and another friend of ours, Jason, and they had, like, two copies of every unit in the game, basically. Um and so John is sort of John and Jason are sort of our local, like, hey, I need practice against something new, guys, because you never know what they're going to bring to the table. Where Luke and I, I don't think we played a game where we didn't bring Starks and Free Folk because those those are the armies that we have, those are the armies that we play. Um, and so every game that Luke and I have played on the table has been a Stark versus Free Folk match. Um, so he's he is extremely familiar with free folk and free folk tactics and free folk cards and I'm extremely familiar with Starks and Stark cards and Stark tactics. And you know, he's he's right. I feel like you know, without speaking for him, him and I both, you know, three weeks leading up to this event thought that we kind of had our lists ready to go and ended up making changes. Um and my my list my second list changed when he changed his Brendan list to, to his Eddard list and started running um, Great John. Prior to that, I had this thinking of, you know, basically like, okay, like my Mance list is the list that I'm going to deal with Baratheons, Lannisters, other free folk, and Starks. Uh, up to that point, I felt like, okay, both Starks are probably going to run Eddard, uh, you know, I need that counter strategy. I need these things that, you know, this activation, activation advantage that Eddard can't really deal with. Um, and, and I was running that Mance list, that nine activation Mance list with a giant, three raiders, a, a chariot, and three NCUs and trappers. I was running that in the start. And then the first game that we played where he was testing out his first iteration of his great John list. I mean, he just, he just smoked me. Um, he just blew up my chariot, blew up my giant. He was doing so much damage that I just couldn't recover from. And like you mentioned before, damage in my turn, you know, great John being able to do 
to do damage to me out of out of you know his turn was a big deal. And so that's when I started looking at my second list, which is my my Tormund list is my second list. I know a lot of free folk players right now are really fond of and and man seeing their their two lists. Mine has been Tormund um, basically since the end of last year. I've been running Tormund as my second commander. And prior to playing Luke uh, with his great John list, I thought Tormund was basically exclusively um, my uh, neutral uh, Night's Watch and Targaryen list, right? Like I needed something where I could go in and do damage out of my turn, right? Like I needed to be able to, to find a way to deal with, and I understand that Final Strike is a good way to do that, but I like Counter Assault more. Um, so Tormund's cards like Counter Assault, um, Rush of Aggression, like I love playing those. I love playing, like if I get into a situation where I'm like, okay, I'm playing somebody who's got, uh, you know, the tools to just, run through free folk like scissors through paper, then I want to hit them back and I want to hit them back as hard as, as free folk can hit back. And for me, that was Tormund. And then after playing my Mance list against Luke's Great John list, I realized that Tormund was not only my list for Targaryens and Night's Watch almost as a whole, but was also my answer for aggressive commanders that were going to give me problems like Great John and like Euron. I, I had gone into this tournament thinking, okay, if I run into Euron Greyjoy, probably Tormund is going to be my answer for that. And I already know there's at least one great John player here. I expected there to be others. And so Tormund was my, you know, my commander for that too. And that was entirely a result playing Luke. And then we play tested. I came up, you know, our next game after he ran over Mance with great John, our next game, I brought uh, my updated Tormund list. um, And we played Clash of Kings, which is, you know, my worst, game scenario I think I, I struggle with Clash of Kings in a lot of my matchups and I mean it came down to the wire it basically came down to who's going to table who and I was like okay this, this is good this is what I'm going to go with but for a lot of our playtesting yeah it's just it's just us and, and Luke and I didn't start playing TTS games until just a, a few months ago earlier this summer it had been something that um, honestly I had avoided and I'm willing to say now that was a mistake um, my theory with TTS prior to playing this summer was I'm a tactile person. I like to see models on the table. I want to play a tabletop game, not a computer game. That's, that's what I'm, I'm doing this for. And it just, it didn't interest me like doing it on, I didn't want TTS to mess with how I played on the table. I felt like it might affect me negatively somehow that I might um, try to do things on the table that you can only do in TTS and it would slow the game down, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I was, I was absolutely wrong about that. You know, when when we did finally start playing CTS a few months ago, um, my skill level shot way up uh, as a result of getting to see the game a little bit differently, but then getting to play all these different people, um, you know, one TTS tournament, and suddenly I was stepping so far out of my box where, like I said, normally I play Starks or... Um, you know, John likes to bring either Baratheons or uh, Night's Watch. Um, but then, like, I didn't have very much experience against Lannister players. I didn't have very much experience against Greyjoy players or neutral players. And then getting to get that experience with really good players uh, in their respective factions was huge. And so that's something I'll be doing more of moving forward is, is playing more on TTS when I can find the time. Um 
But, you know, and moving forward uh, in our local community, I think Luke and I, our focus locally has really shifted from play testing our stuff against each other to build competitive lists to building our local community and getting new new players on the table here. So that'll be great, too, and I'm sure that that's only going to help us become better players in the long run, too. You know, even if to start there's a an experience advantage, I think just having more people playing more factions on the table locally is going to make a big difference. Yeah, I think uh, TTS and, you know, playing on TTS and in person, you know, they're they're practically the same thing, but there's there definitely a little bit of nuances from each. So I think uh, playing both is is kind of a complete package. You know, someone who only plays on TTS, you know, you play in person and you can kind of have small little nuances, you know, catch you off guard. Uh, and the same thing for TTS. You know, if you're not familiar with TTS, obviously when you first start playing it, you may know the game inside and out, but, you know, it, it's a different uh, a different beast. Um, so I think uh, kind of having a mixture of both is great. And, you know, it's a, a great tool for getting out there, getting some new games with. Because, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned quite often, you know, I play as and against every faction um, and no, not being surprised by a certain faction's um, strategy or tools they have at their disposal goes a long way when it comes to the big tournaments, uh, uh, you know, where you're going to face a lot of different, uh, you know, local metas, we'll call them, you know, because you got guys from coming from, you know, like Carlo coming from England. You got, uh, you know, the Chicago crew, uh, crew you got um, uh, the Ohio guys. You, um, you guys are from Alabama, was that correct? Yes, that's right, yeah. So, yeah, so you have all these, like, kind of almost internal uh, metas or, like, your own unique styles with, you know, your uh, with certain, you know, things going on. And so the more you play test against different things, the, the more well-rounded you'll be and the less uh, surprised you will, you'll be against certain things. Uh, I can't tell you how many times, you know, you know, someone hasn't played against a faction ever, I mean, the number of things that you know, if you, if you, if you really just wanted to steamroll your opponent, you know, it, it can be quite easy if they have no idea of all the little tricks you can do. But if you walk them through it, uh, a little different. But you know, it's just it goes a long way to kind of play test against everything else. Uh, so, Luke, how about you? Uh, how how would you say your your testing uh, play testing uh, kind of helped you out? Either whether it be with Brandon or with uh, um, like TTS or whatnot? It's huge. Um, for example, the two games against Night's Watch, I mean, I feel like I've had practice from playing against our, our club partner, John Reinhardt. Um, I've seen Night's Watch enough to know um, kind of what to expect, and that kind of helped really form my Eddard list, um, which I ran into Night's Watch twice. And, and I'm sure Brett will eventually hear talk about our game a little bit and sort of what he saw. Um, but then we talk about playing against Brandon. My three of my four games, uh, when we went to the top 16, and these are elimination games, so these are, these are you know, win or you're out. Three of the four were against uh, Free Folk. 
And so without all the experience I've had and all the chance I've had to hone a list uh, designed to take on free folk, um, I don't think I would have stood a chance. I mean, you look at the game with, with Ilya, that was, that was down to the wire, um, came down to the very end. I, you know, I, I pass a panic test, I, I keep my token, and, and I win 10-9. Um, I, I think to get to that point, you have to have good people to practice against. And, and you know, the saying we have is iron sharpens iron. And, and literally, because we have three people who are willing to look at this game uh, at, through a competitive lens, we are able to make each other better uh, without driving one another away from the game. Right. Um, my first game against John Reinhardt, and uh, he he offered uh, to play Mother of Dragons in the 1.6 version right before the 2021 version dropped. And I'm a brand new, you know, starry-eyed start player. I just bought my great axes. I thought they were the best thing ever. Uh, put them on the table, and I don't think I did a single wound. I think the dragons just flew around and burned me to death. Uh, but that didn't scare me off um, because I have played competitive games before. I asked them to show me what, what's the worst thing in this game. What, you know, what is the most broken thing? Let me just see what it looks like. And I got to see it at first glance, and I tell you, I, was, I couldn't have been more excited uh, for the 2021 update after seeing that. Uh, but, no, it was great, and I stuck with the game. Update came out. We felt really good about it. And, and we have been willing to uh, play each other without running off from the game uh, at a competitive level. And I think when you have a group like that, it's only going to make you better. Um, yeah. And then the game against Carlo, I mean, we talked about TTS, but I had played Carlo um, on TTS uh, against his Targaryens. And he played Drogo. I played Eddard. And, I, and I, I won that game. So when we played Dance of Dragons at the tournament, I think a little bit of that, that mindset play, you know, had something to do with it because he had mentioned in a comment after our game, well, maybe I should have gone with Grey Worm because I would have been at nine activations and you would have been at seven. Um, and I had remembered that comment. And so when we went to pick our two lists, uh, I had a good feeling he was going to go with Grey Worm. So I went with Great John to go from seven to eight activations. And I didn't want cavalry picking up those tokens in Dance of Dragons. And he went with Grey Worm, and it, and it just worked out. So all of these little experiences, all these little things, they all add up to build a person, um, to get them to where they need to be to compete uh, in a championship like this. You know, no one does it on their own. Um, and I'm certainly glad I had Brandon there with me. Yeah, that's that's awesome, you know. <laughs> Uh, I think some people take play testing for granted. Um, you know, it's it goes a long way. Uh, you know, thinking that you'll just kind of show up the day of, not have play tested anything or against anyone, and just you know be fine. I mean, I guess it is possible. Anything's possible, I suppose. But I mean, you're you're really going to be fighting an uphill battle there. Um, Brett, uh, are you still lingering around? Uh, I think you you had a question. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out on mute for for this episode. Um, no, I was just going to ask these two guys. It's 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 a question I I have an opinion on, and we can we can circle back to me. But I'm just curious what the the, the two guests think, and uh, then I guess yourself as well, Dave. Um, I don't I don't think you guys played since really the beginning of the game, but I know when the game started, you had Pycelle, and 
maybe when Night's Watch came, you had ranger trackers that had marked target. But some of these ways to put out condition tokens, it wasn't super common, right? And then you and, – and even towards the end of 1.6, um, Starks had access to vulnerable several ways. Um, like Sudden Charge gave a vulnerable token. I think Northern Ferocity gave a vulnerable token if you owned the swords and, and things like this. But for the most part, prior to season – prior to 2021 – Condition tokens were relatively limited, and, and they're a very important part of the game, obviously, but um, a lot of factions had to rely on the tactic zone to get condition tokens. Um, now it seems like some factions in particular just shit out condition tokens. Um, it seems crazy to me, uh, you know, when I go back to the beginnings of, of 1.4, 1.5 when I was playing Tyrion, and I was begging for vulnerable tokens, and I just really had no way to get them. Um, at the time, Lannister Pace's death gave a vulnerable and a panic when your unit died. It's like, well, if a unit dies, I'm probably in trouble, but at least maybe I'll get a vulnerable and a panic token for my Knights of Castle Rock. And, and it seems like now um, condition tokens are just super easy. So I was going to ask yeah. you guys, if you, if you go back and kind of mentally recall the games that you played, did you find maybe matches where there were less condition tokens to be a little bit easier? Did you find condition tokens everywhere in every match? Or what, what's your opinion on condition tokens as they are in 2021 season one? And, and like I said, we can circle back and I'll give my opinion. So I've been like Luke and I mentioned already, Luke and I have been playing against each other really from the start of 2021 when season 2021 came out. Um, I think we played maybe one or two 1.6 games before the update dropped. Um, and it was not long after that uh, that the She-Bears came out. Um, it was it was around that, like, first of the year last year. Um, I, I think it's one of Luke's favorite units probably just because of the models. And, he, you know, he painted up some really awesome-looking She-Bears. Yeah. Um, but I was actually – talking to Carlo at one point about his game with Luke and something that he mentioned was, you know, that he saw that great John list and he saw the she bears and he knew that war cry was a thing and he didn't feel that bad about it. He's like, that's fine. I can, you know, pull tokens off as I need to. It's not going to be that bad. And then I just kind of smiled because I knew where he was going, which was that he said that eventually he felt like he was drowning in tokens. And playing against Luke, he's been running the double She-Bears, like I said, against me for a, a while now. It's something that I've had to deal with. And it, it really does feel like you were drowning in tokens. When you play against something that, that, that can have two, you know, units with a war cry on the table, um, one war cry is good, right? Tormund is good. That's uh, probably why he's the, the best, you know, free folk attachment that they have available. Um, two war cries is insane. When when there are two war cries on the table, it, there's no point in trying to pull tokens off because they're just going to be there. And at a certain point, you just have to deal with the fact that these tokens are going to be there. And then there were games against Baratheons that I played against where it was just like, uh, okay, I hit you and now I take all of the tokens? Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that happened like constantly. Um, in my games against the Baratheons, where it's like, okay, you know, I I rolled some dice, and now you have every token plus a token that doesn't even exist yet. Um, and, it yeah, it, it can feel 
deflating sometimes. Uh, it, it really can. I mean, it's, it, it's most deflating, obviously, when you have a morale test that you're not supposed to pass, you know, for example. Um, and you you hammer it out of the park, two sixes, right? Like I was supposed to fail this on an 11. I rolled a 12. Look at that. This thing that never happens in the game, and it just happened for me. And they're like, yeah, well, re-roll that panic token. <laughs> you know, it, it just it, having something like that happen twice is, is you know, good luck. It's not, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, making a save on something where you weren't supposed to make a bunch of saves, like having something like come in and, and you know, just do eight hits to you in the side and you think, okay, here goes my unit. And then, boom, you roll eight, fives, and sixes. And you're just like, it's amazing. It never happens, but there it just happened. That's why we roll dice. And they're like, yeah, that's why we roll dice, but spend that vulnerable token, re-roll everything. Um, it's it's rough. You know, it, it is rough. I, you know, I I like token play. I like that token play is an important part of the game. Um, but I think a, a really good player, someone like Luke, is going to look at his access to putting out tokens as insurance that he doesn't have to rely on dice rolls. Like it, it, it doesn't take dice out of the game, but it definitely sort of takes that, that chance of making it and, and drops it even lower. You know what I mean? On, on those big saves. Um, for me, it's something that I'm used to in the game. Uh, like I said, playing against Luke, playing against Baratheon players, um, it's, it's kind of like, okay, I've got tokens on everything, and I just deal with it. Uh, so I don't even really have that perception of pre-2021, what was it like before tokens were this big of a factor in the game. But absolutely, you know, I I just expect most of my units to have panic and vulnerable tokens on them at this point. And it is what it is, and you play around it. And it, for me, really what it does is it, it takes that, that small chance of passing something that you're not going to pass and basically eliminates it. Um, so I just have to play the game now with this mindset of don't get myself in a situation where I need to I, I need a Hail Mary to win because the Hail Mary is not going to do it. And then you, so, Luke, brought outside of. Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask Luke. Obviously, one of his lists he was playing. He was he was comfortable dumping tokens. Um, how how did you feel, you know, if you were ever on the receiving side of that? I know Carlo's list, uh, his Grey Worm list, really didn't drop a lot of condition tokens. Do you feel that um, that gave you a pretty substantial edge in that game? I know it was still a pretty close game, but I, I think at this point when you play a faction that just doesn't generate tokens all the time, you kind of feel like, you know, that's a, that's a more comfortable match, right? Oh, yeah, I definitely do, especially with units like Hardened. Um, like, I could have a unit with Hardened on its last rank, and somebody can be threatening to charge it in the rear, and to be honest, I'll feel like I probably still have a shot of taking no damage at all. Um, but if they drop a vulnerable token, it's a whole different story. I mean, sometimes you can just have situations where you feel good and then someone war cries on you and you get those two tokens and you, you go from feeling like you got a chance to feeling like there's no hope. Um, I mean, it is, it, it's a powerful feeling. And like Brandon said, I always look at it like for me, it's insurance, right? I may charge in. I, you may fail all your saves anyway. I may not need a vulnerable token. You may already crit fail your panic test and I don't even have to spend the panic token. 
Um, but it's an insurance policy. It, for, for me as a player, if I'm going in and I'm committing to this charge, um, my war cry is purchasing an insurance plan that the damage I am hoping to do and expecting to do will go through. Um, and, and I agree, Brett. I, I think that the amount of tokens has ramped up significantly uh, since the 2021 update. And I don't know if it's to counteract the lack of auto wounds, additional attack dice, auto hits that there used to be, and they just see tokens as, well, all you're ever going to get from a token is a potential to reach your highest damage output that you would have reached anyway, right? It's not adding any more than you could have already gotten. It's just making you more likely to achieve um, an increased success rate, right? So, but where it really feels bad <laughs> is with she-bears, right? They have crit blow as well. So when you combine crit blow with war cry, uh, you can see potential scenarios where uh, you're one-shotting people, even, even without having to play Berserker Tactics, uh, with doing nothing more than war crying and charging and getting several sixes. Um, and I don't know if it's a problem. I just know it's just the one thing that's going pretty well for Starks right now. <laughs> but I, uh, I also look at Martels and some of the things that we've seen, um, and it looks like condition play is, is, is here to stay. Um, they look like they're going to be pretty strong uh, condition token faction as well. What do you think, Brett? Uh, I think I think condition tokens. Yeah, they're really important. I think um, I I'm I, I've had a theory that maybe. Warcry should be just one condition token, but I'm, I'm not sure it would be as good. I think a lateral change where maybe Warcry is when the unit activates, similar to Asha's tactics card for Warcry, and Brendan Tully's, I think, is when the unit activates. Seems a little bit more in the realm of fair, but maybe at the very least, you could require a line of sight. Um, and then as, as as far as Baratheons go, now I, I just want to be clear that on, on small council we really we really hate to go into like what we would do to change the design because it's not our place, it's not our business. We don't see the big picture, but I I will say that there are matches where it I, I think it's just a little bit out of hand at this point. Yeah, I think um, when I played Fang, obviously it was. Just a terrible match for me. Anyway, I think I think uh, Brandon watched a good part of that match, and and condition tokens aside, I couldn't get anything going. Anyway, but I, I at one point I had four combat units on the table. I had twelve condition tokens out, and and he was he was getting to a point where he was he was literally saying that he had a marked target, but he had nowhere to put the tokens. He wasn't using um, Stannis' ability to switch tokens because they were all already there. And uh, <laughs> at, at that point, you know, it, it, it's a little deflating, yeah, um, to have that many on, on all of your units. Um, 
And I, I think I was a little, I was being a little tongue in cheek. Things were going poorly and it was, there was no turning it around at that point. So I kind of tried to crack a joke and, and I was being a little bit funny about it, but he pulled a, a vulnerable token and had me re-roll. And I was like, you want me to just put it right back? Like, do I even need to pull it? You're just going to put it back anyway. I, we'll just leave them there. We'll just assume they're always vulnerable. And But that's, that's really how it felt. Like, it just felt like, okay, he's going to expend this vulnerable token and do D3 wounds from tactical approach, but then Stannis is going to put it right back. So just leave the condition token on the unit. It's fine. They'll be dead soon anyway. So um, I do think... Um, yeah, I, I think condition tokens are important, and I think I think they're a good part of the game. I think that they do take some of the luck out, but it, it, it might be a little bit healthy to evaluate some of the ways that condition tokens are placed. I think um, I think all of the I don't hate she bears either, actually, because at least they're a morale six. I'll, I'll pick on Brandon's mm-hmm. faction a little bit. I, I dislike Tormund in a man's list because it's a three plus war cry. And more often than not, you have no better play than to coordinate Tormund with yeah. your Fen. Get a free war cry, essentially. And then you're going to use hold the line with Tormund's raiders anyway. So it's it's like a double tap play. Like, I'm going to get a free war cry out of this that's pretty much auto-pass because I transfer stalwart. And I'm going to use hold the line anyway because that's the best play to do with coordination tactics right now. Uh, that or I'm going to coordinate with Mance. Mance is going to war cry on a three plus, and then I'm going to have Mance's counter strategy on Tormund. So it, it, it can be a little bit frustrating with some of the combinations, but um, that said, I think overall my point is that the games that I played where condition tokens were less prominent were games that, you know, I, that they were definitely more comfortable. And so I think that's a, a key takeaway from that event. It, it's like, armies that generate a whole bunch of tokens had the tendency to advance further, right? Because we had your list, Roger's Freefolk list, um, Fang's token machine, and then we had um, Ilya, who had a token farming list. Mm -hmm. So of the top four, every one of them has abilities to generate a ton of tokens, and I, I think that's pretty telling. And Actually, we can even go further. I got eliminated. My army generates a minimal amount of tokens. Craig Gruenhagen was eliminated. His army, Targaryens, generated a minimal number of condition tokens. Carlo was eliminated. His army generates a minimal number of condition tokens. And I think it might have been a free folk mirror, right? That was the other loss. Because, I, yeah, Bob lost to Elia, right? Which was just a free folk mm-hmm. mirror. So one free folk had to advance anyway out of that matchup. But it, all of that said, it was kind of crazy in that, in that round where it was the top eight. I think uh, myself, Carlo, Craig, and Bob all got eliminated. And I think that was kind of something that people didn't see coming. But overall, I, I just want to reemphasize that it's in particular for the U.S. meta, for the guys watching the U.S. meta and seeing what's going on, it was very healthy for that to happen, for for Bob, Carlo, myself, and Craig to get eliminated because we were all kind of quote-unquote big names. And now you guys, have, you in particular, Luke, are, are, are thrust into the spotlight. Uh, and you were playing a faction and a play style that's not super common. So it was very, very good to see that happen. But it's just worth noting that three of the four that were eliminated in that round are 
armies that don't have a ton of token play. Well, yeah, and I, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I want to mention too, you know, and I don't know, maybe you guys feel the same way, but I do feel like uh, some condition tokens are maybe a little better than others, in particular Vulnerable and Panic, uh, which are the condition tokens that it seems like factions have the most access to. Um, you know, I, I know that I've put weakened tokens out on things before, or I've had weakened tokens put out on me. And if you're if you're going up against something that has crit blow, having them re-roll might not be a good thing, right? Like, it, it, you know, there there are situations where spending a weakened token might not be in your best advantage. You know, I don't want to put a weakened token on she bears, but I always want to put a vulnerable token on them. Um, and, and I think the fact that you know, vulnerable and panic tokens, in my opinion, are probably a little bit stronger in competitive play than weakened tokens. And you add on top of that the fact that they're the most easy to access tokens for most factions. You know, a lot of factions don't have a lot of ways without weakened tokens, which, you know, no pun intended, are probably the weakest of the three tokens. Yeah, and, and, and I'll just uh, add on top of that, like with with the Stark uh, with Stark list and with Hardened, um, there's not a lot of times that you know a vulnerable token and a panic token get put out, and and I don't just block all the hits um, altogether. You know, even on two ranks, if they're blocking two, you know, if I can just roll some fours and then have Hardened block the rest. Um, Sometimes, sometimes the vulnerable tokens and the panic tokens don't even uh, get through on the Stark list. But um, I've got Batlin as my one condition token removal, and maybe there needs to be more uh, NCUs like Catlin or abilities to remove condition tokens um, if they're going to be as easy as they are to kind of put out. Yeah, you uh, you stole the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that other than maybe a couple small things, maybe like Warcry, uh, I think the amount of token play is completely fine. Uh, we just need to have more back and forth with more abilities to remove condition tokens. Um, you know, the the amount that gets put out, you know, is is starting to be quite a bit, but... You know, if you just kind of mix in some more abilities in there that maybe aren't even necessarily tied to, uh, like, NCUs like Catlin or Khaleesi, or I think even uh, um, it hasn't been revealed yet, but in one of the, like, the leaked um, type-out documents of the Martellas, I believe they have a NCU that removes one as well. Um, I think even just some more play with tactics cards or attachments or whatever the case may be that that can remove some condition tokens. Um, you know, maybe even like a support unit for some faction uh, that just, uh, you know, I don't know, start of, start of the round, you know, remove a condition token from a friendly unit within long or something. Something goofy like that. Just throwing like weird ideas out there, but, you know, sky's the limit. I think if we add enough abilities that remove condition to, uh, uh, condition tokens, I think it'd be a really cool interaction of a back and forth between players, tossing them out, 
them getting healed. Obviously, you would uh, or removed, however you want to word it. Um, and I think you know if you're paying the points for it, you're paying the points for it. Um, so and it, it would just be a nice, cool little interaction to see. Um, and then you wouldn't have to worry about uh, removing some of these effects or changing them. Um, so uh, I think uh, you know you know, to kind of go a little against what Brett has said, where, you know, trying to talk about, like, uh, changing things or things that are a problem with the game. Uh, I think mentioning a thing here or there is fine, you know, as long as it's in, in, in good spirit and, you know, constructive criticism. And, you know, maybe this is just, like, the inside of me that is, like, wishful thinking, but there's been a number of things that we've mentioned on the show here that, you know, however many many months later end up getting changed and ends up being exactly some of the suggestions that we had said. So it kind of gives me some encouragement that, you know, the, that uh, Fabio or Michael or whoever the case may be is listening from time to time and, uh, you know, you know, take, take an idea once in a, once in a blue moon. Uh, So that's why, you know, as long as it's constructive, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be railing against, uh, against them because, you know, they're on, we're all on the same side. Uh, So just some cool ideas, you know, I know just even from walking around with Fabio um, at the convention, um, he, you know, he tried to do as many demos as possible and, that was because he wanted ideas. Like he, you know, I, I took him by the Conquest booth and showed him that game and he demoed it and he loved the ideas so much. Now, with that said, does that mean he's going to implement that stuff to Ice and Fire? Who knows? Uh, you know, he, he makes uh, or he develops lots of games. Um, you know, uh, he could just be trying to get ideas for other games or cool, you know, this or that. But, you know, that's it never hurts to kind of throw it out there as long as it's constructive is I guess what I'm getting at. Just make sure you, you really think about how it's coming across because um, we definitely don't want to like dogpile or ever make it, uh, make it into this, you know, uh, like negative experience because one, this is just not good for the game, but two, you know, it, 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 they're definitely not going to care what you have to say at that point. Definitely. And uh, like, I, I actually really, really enjoy the game where it's at. I mean, seeing it go from the end of 1.6 to the 2021 version to Season 1, um, I mean, it's just trending in the right direction. They're making positive changes. And I think, I think you know, I'm looking forward to the, even the next change. Um, I think any time a game like this can shake it up um, – with with a change, with an update, with an FAQ, um, it, it's always a good thing. When players have to reevaluate their list, change things, adapt, um, keep those kind of creative juices flowing when it comes to list design, um, that's a that's a good way to keep the game alive. I know they said that they're opposed to change for change's sake, and and I agree with that. If you know if something's not broken, you don't necessarily need to fix it. Um, but I do think that there are a few things that they'll probably look at. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing things change. I'm looking forward to seeing what, you know, Martell's uh, do to the game. Um, because if they're going to be really anti-healing, maybe we see people trend away from, you know, the Jon Snow lists and the Glory Seekers and, and all the healing that has been commonplace. And <laughs> who knows, maybe it'll just become a really bloody game at no defensive abilities at all. 
<laughs> Maybe that's why you don't see as many weakened tokens. They're just like, come on, guys, just kill each other already. You know, weakening things just makes the game take longer. Just everything become vulnerable and panicked all at the same time, and let's get this over with. Oh, it's true. It's totally true. And, and just to segue, <laughs> you know, I, I don't mean to mention another game, but there's a, I played Warhammer 40K for a little bit um, after they, they terminated Warhammer Fantasy. And uh, when I stepped into the game, it was in a state where everybody was just bringing, like, one big, they call it a Death Star unit with, like, two up invulnerable saves, can't be negated, can't be changed, and they have, you know a save on top of a save on top of a save. And I remember just watching the game being like, so nothing dies. You guys are just, you're just seeing who gets lucky. I don't understand. <laughs> That's no fun. It's definitely no fun. Oh, I definitely, definitely know what you mean there. I played uh, Warhammer for over 22 years. So it's uh, <laughs> um, definitely has gone through a lot of uh, iterations. Um, but, uh, Brett, uh, before we move on kind of to the last uh, topic I wanted to touch on, uh, did you have any uh, any questions or anything that maybe we kind of skipped on that uh, you'd want to talk about? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think we I think we covered a lot of the good stuff. And uh, no, I I, I no, nothing in particular. I, I I wanted to ask the the thing about condition tokens, but but for the most part, no. Uh, I think we're tracking along pretty nicely. Well, Brett, I have a question for you, real Thanks. quick, before I move on. Do you do you think um, do you think my great John list would have done any better against John? Mm-hmm. Um, in the first game, probably not, because I don't think you were aware of the interaction with Stand United Brothers and Cold Hands. So I think I think I would have probably still been able to sack Cold Hands and get a jump on you, possibly get rid of a unit. Uh, in match two, yes. Uh, in match two, I think it would have been. I think I would have. I, I assumed um, that Edard would be what you played. If we played a round two, I think we would have had maybe a list chicken situation where my nine activation John was better against Great John and worse against Edard. So I think likely I would take the safe play, knowing how poorly John would do against the the three are three units with uh you know three plus defense and mobility gives you the advantage in that list pairing to where you know you can pretty well predict that I wouldn't take that risk so I would run the sworn brothers list against you again and I think it, given that we played the first day and the second day you would have been more prepared and I think that you, your great john list is great for dealing with my flayed men who don't necessarily have the support of the night watch cards and I, I think, yeah, I think you could have gotten a jump with Arya and things like this to potentially get Great John in. And once you one-shot a unit, particularly if it's the Sworn Brothers with Watch Captain, if you hard target that unit and go hard with, you know, a double Arya shift or something and, and you get into them with a first round, second round, they're dead. And then at that point, I have to try to win with the Plaidman and John and a couple of solos. It's just not really great for me. So, um yeah, that's a lot of word salad, but long uh, too long, don't read. Um, I can't risk running the John list against you, which allows you the flexibility to either try Eddard again or Great John, and I think Great John into the um, less Ranger Hunters list is, is, a, is a good match for you. I think so, too. I think I think the last out, I think the last stand, I think having Berserker Tactics to maybe take out, like you said, uh, 
the Swarn brothers on a on a lucky charge with a winner is coming or something to back them up. Um, I think that would have been mm-hmm. the way to go. But we'll, maybe maybe yeah. we'll find out one day. <laughs> well, in, in in talking about wounded birds, I'm I'm over and thinking about how I'm wounded and I should probably be ignored because my game with Fang was so dicey. <laughs> I think I think uh, you were a little bit wounded by cold hands. So I think similar to what you did to the chariot, you would never let that situation happen again, right? You would just take the three wounds, yeah, deal cold hands four wounds, take my dice, mm-hmm. throw them out the window. There's nothing that I can do about it, and then then you get yourself freed up to get into my units because in that list, cold hands as a body blocker is super important. So if you can get rid of him, it, it opens up plays for you. And I think that's where, you know, I've been so spoiled uh, with the other list and all the tokens that when, when cold hands rolls those four, six, a vulnerable token to use, I, I think on the mind, you know, going to, Oh, I need more token play. <laughs> But that's all I got. No, I, Sorry, go ahead. I was just I was just gonna say I think your I think your list pairing is is good into Nightwatch. You have you have the tools to eliminate the things that they want to do and, and and I think even if you have no intention of playing that Eddard list, when you see the very typical John double hunters, like they just can't even do what they want to do like with the attack retreat and all that, because then you're risking the Eddard counter charge because mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're not engaged. Eddard can, you can attack Eddard. You can just charge you right back. And you don't want to retreat from Blademan and Tully Cav and give them the opportunity to charge you either. Charge so right. I think your Eddard list does a really nice job of checking that Ranger Hunter's list out. And then you can make decisions from there. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. You're welcome, buddy. So, <laughs> going on to kind of the little last uh, tail part here, going to be briefly talking about the Martell leaks and what you guys think of it. We can't do too deep of a dive just because uh, we're a little shorter on time. Um, but for anyone listening, we will, once uh, they kind of drop the last of the cards and units and stuff that are uh, the attachments that – um, haven't been shown yet. We're definitely going to do a complete show talking about all of it, but uh, for now we're just going to kind of briefly talk about it. And then also for anyone listening, it kind of came out at the last second, and I know it's been buzzing around, but just in case you did not see it, uh, they did throw out an FAQ last night or an Aretta, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot of things explained in there some things that were kind of left out, unfortunately, and uh, one kind of a fumble uh, with Vassal. Uh, I think maybe it was on purpose. You never know. Um, but uh, definitely go check out uh, the new FAQ. But with that said, the uh, Martells, uh, you know, I'll give my first impression real quick and say that I cannot wait to play them. I've been, uh, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I've been waiting for this faction since the game dropped. Um, you know, I started playing Starks because I love Starks just from the show. But uh, my absolute favorite character from the show and the books is the Red Viper. So um, ever since I started playing the game, I jumped into Starks. This is the faction I have been waiting for. And uh, the effects... The way the units look, everything, uh, you know, has me super excited to play them. 
already have everything on pre-order. Not, And I say pre-order because I've just mentioned to my local shop I want them. They aren't like necessarily on pre-order, like you can go on sites and click the pre-order button. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited with how they play. Um, I apologize for the noise. I'm currently uh, sitting in a Chuck E. Cheese parking lot as my kids and wife and uh, are all inside playing. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, it looks like their play style is going to be like super controlly uh, and maneuverability mixed in with a bit of, uh, you know, like hard hitting, and I don't necessarily say as hard as some other factions, but it's definitely hard enough that it's something to note. Um, they're going to have a lot of cool abilities like shield wall, set for charge. Um, I'm super excited for these guys. Uh, what do you, I'll start with you, Brett. Uh, what do you think of these guys? Uh, they're a lot to digest. Um, I think it would, I think they're a faction that's going to require a lot of kind of playing and seeing, but what they remind me of initially is kind of similar to Greyjoys where they have these things, they look cool, they seem cool. Um, how well do they translate and how quickly can the meta adjust? Because if you don't remember, you don't play TTS, Dave, so you might not know or, or follow stats or anything. There was a brief time where Greyjoys were still relatively new and, and finding themselves out. There was a brief time where Greyjoys, I think, climbed up to second, maybe third in the rankings. And then people kind of figured out how to play against them and figured out, hey, this is what's making them tick. This is what we need to eliminate, things like this. Um, you could see something like that with Martells, right? You could see, um, you know, they, they start off slow. Then someone really starts to pilot them, figure out how they're working, figure out what's working for them. And then they, they get, because obviously we have a copycat game, we have a copycat meta. What works for somebody is going to be copied, and they're going to change a couple of things, but the bones are going to be copied, right? The bones and the strategy and this maneuver and this, this move is going to be copied. So then they might surge, and then we have to see if they'll come back down or not. Um, hypothetically, they could cause a meta shift, but I, my, I look at things through the lens of what could they do against powerful factions right now. I don't see them really having any tools to disrupt Mance, so I don't know that they're enough to really shake up the meta. I think to bring in a faction that really does a meta shake, they have to disrupt what's already up at the top, and I'm not sure if they do that, but I, I do see some really cool plays um, I love the fact that their their five point spearmen have tack reposition. I, I love it for now because I like tack reposition. When I play Starks, I play Rob. When I play uh, Lannisters, I play Tyrion. I think tactical reposition is a phenomenal order. Um, they have it twice. See some interesting shenanigans where they run Stormcrow archers, Slademen, or Bastards girls to get the double shift and, and cover ground that way. Um, other than that, we'll have to see. I think the NCU poisoning thing could be good. Um, I imagine probably starting in round two, they'll likely just mark the swords, um, and then you really can't afford to play the swords anymore, so you're giving the Martells the swords. So I think it's about leveraging a piece like Bastard Girls that would absolutely love to have free reign on the sword. So we'll have to see it happen, but I, I think it could be pretty cool. I think, yeah, I'm eyeing 
Bastards Girls for now. If I'm throwing out my shot, I'm saying the Bastards Girls with with that poison zone, making hard, hard, hard choices on the swords, they might be the piece that, that can get leveraged and, and do something for that army. Nice. All right. So, uh, Luke, we'll go through next. I know uh, you talked a little bit about it on uh, Tourney Grounds. Um, what are... What are your thoughts? I know they're not necessarily uh, kind of to your to your specific uh, like I don't know if taste is the right word, but you know what do, what do you think uh, of them? Just even to as a faction to mix things up or to you know provide something different. Oh, that's exactly yeah. I th- I think they provide a lot of different things, and and actually it kind of reminds me of a play style of, of a player I've played on TTS. Uh, by the name of Inline. Uh, he's from Canada. He normally plays Lannisters. But um, everything I'm seeing from this deck, this tactics deck, this to me just screams like Inline's play style with Tyrion Commander, uh, which is a lot of like repositioning, control, shutting down what you want to do with your faction, and enabling Martells to do everything that they want to do uh, with their faction. Um, I love... Obara Sand as a commander, uh, not necessarily for her cards, but just she just comes stacked with abilities. Uh, she's got reckless heroism. She's got fueled by slaughter, so already she's the same as Cotter Pike commander. Uh, but then she gets Sundering added on top, uh, so she comes with all three of those abilities. And like compared to Mage Mormont, who just comes with battle scars, um, I'm very jealous. I wish I wish Starks had a commander. Uh, like Obara Sand with, with all three of those abilities. Those would be fantastic abilities to have. Um, whether or not she gets played, I don't know. Um, but, but it looks like, what, NCU commander is back with uh, Doran as an NCU commander and, um, oh, what's his name, Aryo Hota as the on-foot commander. Um, I, that's just so neat. Uh, and I think done in, in the right way. Um, even though you still pay the points for the NCU, it's it's great to see um, them bring Doran into the game and not give him the Eric Ironmaker treatment, not put him in a in a wheelchair on the battlefield, um, but keep him you know thematically on the tactics board. Um, and then the inclusion of you know a, a sixth tactics zone again with uh, the Water Gardens. Um, that's just so unique and so neat to this game whenever you're introducing all these new elements, new puzzles for players to figure out, new, new strategies to play around and to, and to play against. And the more factions we expand into this game, I think the less likely you are to see one faction dominate because how can any one faction create two lists that can take on... I mean, when when especially when you start to really vary the styles and introduce everything that the Martells do introduce. I, I, think, it's, I think it's great for the game. Um, whether or not they're strong or not very strong, like Brett said, it's, it's a wait and see. Um, but I think we can already see that there is going to be some, some shifting and some thinking, some, some NCU that people probably never considered, like Axel Florent. Uh, maybe it looks more appealing. You know, maybe Olena. Uh, sees play again. Maybe the new Eddard Stark Hand of the King. Uh, uh, the NCU, I can't remember her name, but the one who uh, can poison the zone uh, if an enemy NCU takes it. It seems strong, but then again, when you think about 
like you can take it on turn one. Um, you can take it on turn five, and your NCU won't die until the end of round six. And, and NCU dying doesn't really, you know, doesn't really do anything negative for you um, unless, like, here we stand. So, I mean, I think, I think a lot of be some knee-jerk reactions, some overreactions at first, but I'm excited to see it on the table, and I'm excited to see our buddy John Reinhardt uh, play it because Dave been waiting for this faction for a long time. Nice. And then, uh, uh, Brandon, how how are you feeling about these guys? You uh, you chucking the free folk out the window and rushing to the store and buying like five starters of them, or how are, uh, how excited are you about these guys? So my mind like stays north of the wall, and <laughs> and most most of my like theory crafting has been around their mirror and how I'm going to make his cat work. So I haven't given a whole lot of thought. <laughs> uh, to Marquette. I, I look uh, at, at what I've seen on, on Facebook and other posts here and there uh, over the past day, what we've seen come out. Uh, I, you know, I don't think I have anything more to say than what Luke and Brett said. I think that they look good. They don't look like they're going to be a, a, a bad fashion. They definitely look like they have I'm also a big fan of tactical repositions. It's not something that the free folk have, but I've seen it played super well. Um, I think that's a great ability. I think a lot of the movement stuff that they have is going to make them tricky to deal with, and we'll just have to kind of see where they shake out against other factions over time. But I think there's a lot of people in this game who are like you, Dave, and have really been waiting on this faction. You know, Luke mentioned our buddy John. Um, there are a lot of people who really want to play with Martell, so they're going to be really popular, and then people are going to start to figure out really quick because of how often they're getting played, what works and what doesn't. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them across the table from me. And, and real quick, I'll go on the record as saying I, you know, I love Martell. I thought maybe Martells would be my introduction into a second faction, but closer look at the models, they're just not, they're not really my style. Not didn't really like. I liked it, I didn't love it. So I'm out there, and <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully, out there, and at some point comes out in the future and uh, the Knights of the Veil. Vale. Yep, hopefully. Um I think I think it'll happen. We'll have to see uh see when that is though. Um, you know, I'm gonna call it right here, I'm gonna call it dibs, even though I'm sure someone out there someone has. Uh I'm probably gonna paint my Martell's purple. Uh, I'm gonna go with their complimentary color and then also throw in a little orange in there. Uh just uh you know, in gold, kinda like gold, orange and purple. Um you know, I want I want a very unique scheme, but also still sort of feels I don't know. In my mind, purple just kind of seems like like a color for them. Um, you know, I'm gonna just throw it out there right now because I I felt like my idea for my Greyjoys was so cool, um, and mine was actually inspired off of the custom cards that you could get through Blitzminis. Uh, dot com. Uh, he since then has sold all the sleeves to uh i forget what site but um anyways so on there it's like a bronze shield and you have a red flag and then you have waves and so i did my entire Greyjoy scheme that way uh and then turns out that basically 90 percent of everyone else painted their Greyjoys the same way um <laughs> so i'm calling it right here right now faction's not even out um 
and I'm doing like a purple, orange, and gold uh, scheme. Anyone is welcome to copy it. I just want everyone to know that I am not copying anyone else. <laughs> I love it. Um, so with that said, I just want to mention one last thing. Uh, one, my own personal idea with the faction, especially with um, uh, uh, the NCU that poisons the zone with the strangler. So a lot of people have been talking about taking the swords uh, or or naming the sword zone, the combat zone, so that way your opponent can never take the combat zone. Personally, I think, uh, you know, the faction's going to be a bit more hard-hitting that the last thing you want them doing is actually healing. Uh, so I think a great strategy, uh, especially off the bat, before, like, they get so many attachment options that just better things pop up, you take Brawn, uh, one-point attachment, Give something that motivated by coin. You claim, uh, you name the the wealth zone so that your opponent can't take the wealth, and then they ask themselves, "Is healing three worth me killing off my NCU?" And then now, on the turns where you go first, you take the combat zone attack, and then you then follow up with the wealth zone and attack again. So. Just a little cool combo I thought about. Um, you could even throw, like, one lieutenant out there, one Stormcrow lieutenant. Now, a lot of these units have, like, 774 and then 764, so you might not get as much mileage out of them as you would with some other units. But I still think uh, putting, like, a lieutenant in, like, one of the uh, 764 units uh, in order to be, uh, you know, basically 777 with Sundering uh, could be really useful. Um, especially with uh, what's the unit, um, the dervishes. You know, you're looking, you're still only hitting on fours, but now you're potentially having precision, sundering, crit blow, uh, all for one point. Um, and then, like I said, if you're running that combo, you can easily start to trigger your wealth zone uh, uh, over your opponent. So just something to keep in mind. Um, I am extremely excited to be running the Red Viper in every single list possible, uh, as long as they can give me a an attachment, a commander, and hopefully an NCU. I think I've mentioned on the show before that I think it's completely within the realm of uh, reasonability that he would have an NCU because, I mean, even in the show, in the books, he, he does a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, he was on the... Um, uh, he was like one of the judges for Tyrion's trial. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that he did that was non-combat related. So I'm hoping that we see uh, an NCU for uh, the Red Viper. So with that said, uh, we're going to kind of close it out with some shout-outs. Uh, as always, I'm going to shout-out Sunday Slaughter, especially uh, uh, Stovetop who streamed the um, the national the last uh, day of all the, the single elimination matches. Um, and then he posted them, I believe, on uh, Sunday Slaughter's uh, Twitch. So definitely go check those out. Um, you know, if you're looking to support any content creators financially, uh, you know, definitely check out uh, some of their Patreons. Uh, as for small council, you can support us simply by just sharing the show out. It's the number one thing you can do to help support us. Uh, just word of mouth and, uh, you know, posting maybe in some of the pages that uh, – that I haven't been able to reach. Um, Brett, how about you? Do you have any shout-outs? 
Oh, if I could unmute myself, sorry for the awkward pause. Um, yeah, we're we're still having sign up for Bob's Adopticon tournament. Um, it's on. It's going to be done on TTS, of course. There's a thirty dollar entry fee. All of that goes to Bob's adoption fund. I have a link for that. I'm sure I can give Dave the link, and he'll post it up onto the show. Uh, would be super awesome for anybody who can join to join. Inside the link on that Discord, you will find uh, the story of what Bob is going through. Bob's a great community guy. Bob is awesome. Um, it would be super cool um, for you to join and play. It should be a really fun event anyway. Uh, I think we're up to 30 people now, so getting more would be super awesome. Um, so, yeah, just that. Um, if you can sign up for it and and – know that your donation is going to Bob to help him out. It, it's a super good cause. And uh, my Warhammer from Nationals last year is the prize for that event. So it's a pretty substantial prize. So, um, you know, if you want to play for that, go right ahead. But it should be a super cool event. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, not only check for it on uh, our, you could check for it on like our Facebook page and our Discord and a couple other places. So definitely uh, keep that in mind. Uh, even you know, if let's say you even can't play, you know, even if you just let's say want to, you know, you're busy that day, and you just want to help support, you know, just pay the entry fee and just be like, hey, look, I'm not going to play, uh, but here's an entry fee, you know, and uh, you know, put it towards a, a great cause. So, um, you know, if if uh, if it's within your means. Um, all right, Brandon, how about you? Do you have any uh, shout-outs? Uh, just uh, the two um, local players here, uh, John and Jason, they were, they've were they been playing the game, I think like I mentioned earlier, since the Kickstarter. Um, Luke and I showed up into their arena, and they unfortunately weren't able to make it to uh, Gen Con this year. Jason's a great player, but congratulations to him. He got married, bought a house, and then they got pregnant. So he's had a lot going on this year and hasn't really been able to make it out to tournaments. And then John Reinhardt actually qualified uh, for Gen Con and wasn't able to make it um, because he had some appointments for his kid also. So just family stuff, family obligations kept him from making it up there. Um, they're great players. They're great people. Uh, and really looking forward to, to working with them and Luke and sort of building our area here to make it a premier Song of Ice and Fire community. Nice. And then, uh, Luke, how about you? Yeah, I'll try to make mine really quick. So, obviously, Bob and uh, Stefan Newhouse, um, they meant so much to me on that. And uh, how friendly they were in person is just, I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't put it into words. Um, they were so fun to be around, so much fun to, to talk to, and, and the fact that they were willing to stream some of my games there at, at towards the end of the tournament, um, I, I will always remember that, uh, especially with my family watching. So I love those guys. And then real quick, I just want to say thank you to all the people that I played at Gen Con. Uh, John Hurley, Steve Christopher, Brett, obviously, Evan Little, Mark Rupp, Sean Emberly, uh, Carlo, Ilya, and Roger Cato in the final. Um, all of those games were so much fun. All these people are wonderful, and I'm just so happy to be a part of such a cool community. And thanks again, Dave, for having me on. Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, 
uh, I definitely want to congratulate you again. You know, getting uh, getting as far as you did and taking the cake cake with uh, Starks is, you know, not something anyone would have put money on. I don't believe. I think if uh, you took uh, took like a you know a bet on all the different factions, the only person that would have bet on Starks would have been that one person just looking to take a super crazy gamble, not because they actually believed it would happen. So. Um, you know, definitely congratulations to you. And, uh, you know, I want to do one last shout out and that's to Simon, um, you know, just for creating the game. Um, you know, I think everyone out there and this isn't, uh, you know, I just want to throw one simple fact out there. Just keep in mind that Asmodee and Simon are completely two different things. Um, they kind of have to work together on stuff. Uh, so, Try to just remember who has control over what, uh, and and even with that said, try to make sure that your criticism is constructive. Let's try to you know work together as a community to help each other grow. You know, you if you truly love this game, you know you don't want to see it fail. And being incredibly negative uh, to a point that it's you know kind of toxic is definitely not a way that's going to help the game grow. So definitely keep that in mind. And uh, you know one last uh, one last chant before we go. The king in the north. still here. Why? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.